benediction, as we'll talk about, uh, there is no lack of just uh, beauty in God's Word here, found in these last six verses of Hebrews chapter 13. But also, it's exciting to me. It's exciting as a pastor every time we come to the end of a book. It's just uh, something to celebrate. Uh, if you've been with us since the beginning of North Hills, we are working on celebrating 10 years this year, September 11th. Uh, this year will be our 10th anniversary. And we have asked on Facebook this morning in a, uh, our private North Hills group, one person responded, and only one person responded incorrectly. Close, Allison. Very close. Uh, but this is our eighth book in full to complete. Uh, for just reference sake, uh, we began in Ephesians back in 2012 uh, as we, we started North Hills off in a series through Acts. Um, I would, would some, somewhat say we finished Acts, but James would clearly say we did not. We thoroughly went through the first three chapters and finished the next 20-whatever in about one sermon. So uh, we won't give credit for Acts. But Ephesians, and then Luke, and then Malachi, First Peter, Genesis, Second Peter, Esther, and now Hebrews. So it is exciting to finish this book, and I'll go ahead and tell you where we're heading to next, and that'll be the book of Habakkuk uh, that we'll begin probably sometime in April, and the next few weeks, next four weeks specifically, Evan will be leading us through a, uh, a series on the family, which I'm very excited about, and uh, you can get some information ahead of time of what text we'll be in, but looking forward to, uh, to the weeks and months ahead. But this morning, we are finishing up Hebrews um, as this writer concludes what I would say, and I believe we all would agree, this magnificent letter uh, that we've spent a year and a half walking through. We began last, or actually... Um, June 2019, so whatever math that is with uh, uh, COVID and all kind of things and a few uh, uh, independent series along the way, but from June 2019 to today, we have made this journey through the book of Hebrews, and he concludes it with two sections, if you will, and it may be labeled differently in your Bible, but these first couple verses uh, are, are what often referred to as a benediction. And the last four verses there uh, refer to often as a blessing or sometimes a final greeting. And so, uh, so we're going to spend most of our time here in this benediction, specifically this very first verse. And then, of course, we'll work our way through, uh, through all of it. But uh, before we do so, let us pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can come and we can, um, we can be together, Father, under uh, the preaching of your word, uh, the singing of your word, Lord, the praying of your word, as we gather around your word, who ultimately is Christ. We thank you for Christ. I thank you for revealing Christ to us the way you have, who is our chief, great and good shepherd. And Lord, now as we come to uh, this end of this letter written to the Hebrews so many long ago that is also to us today, help us to see, help us to hear. Help us to believe and respond. In the name of Christ we do pray. Amen. So as we turn to, let's just read this last section. We're going to begin in Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 20. says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. We could just stop right there, right? And just camp for a while. I'm glad you think so, because we are. In just a moment. Verse 21, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. So, this passage that lays before us today, it starts with a very simple word, but it, it's a word that does shift the focus of the text for us, because we know that the, the Bible was, this is a letter written from this anonymous writer of the Hebrews, uh, written to the Hellenistic Jews, uh, as we'll talk again about this morning briefly. But it's a letter that was written, and most of the books of the New Testament are letters that are written by an elder, by a pastor to his people. And so, uh, so as he's writing this letter, oftentimes we look in Scripture and we see the different chapters and different sections and different headings, and, and all these mean something. Uh, but especially as we come to verse 20, this is a very clear break. It starts with the word now, and it's actually a Greek word that is used to kind of change direction, if you will. And so he's intentionally landing the plane as pastors and preachers and, and, and letter writers and, and authors do, uh, as he knows that he is wrapping up this letter that he is writing to the dear church. And so this word now, so now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead of from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. May He equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's a, it's a long sentence. There's a lot happening right there, but there's one subject, as every sentence, every good sentence anyway, there's one subject and there's one verb. And so if you were to kind of push everything out just for a second, ultimately it says, may God equip you. May God equip you. May God equip you, the church. And so, but he puts so many words around that he describes God in such a wonderful way. And he describes the way that he's going to equip and the why he equips and all these things. But ultimately, in the center of that is this, um, is this plea, this prayer, this, this benedictory thought that may God equip you, church. As, as, I, as I'm leaving you, as I'm wrapping this letter up, as this letter is written to, again, these Hellenistic Jews, uh, these, the, the, the church at the time, who were just recently uh, uh, Orthodox Jews, and now they've come to know Christ, and they've trusted Christ, and they're, they're following Him. And, uh, and so to a degree, they're hated by the Orthodox Jews. They're definitely hated by Rome and the world, and they're experiencing persecution in so many different ways uh, in their life, and they have so many different struggles they're going through. And there's this first century church. His encouragement to him, to them, and his exhortations, may God equip you, may He provide for you, may He care for you and as we know he will and so we're going to see this morning we're reminded of a couple things at the heart of this farewell is a prayer for God's people that he would provide for his people and we know that God will always provide for his people whether you're uh, struggling in the first century or struggling in the 21st century or any century in between or any century afterward god will always provide for his people and we know that ultimately he has provided for us uh, in christ as we'll see this morning 
And so, as we remember this, uh, this encouragement that the early church surely felt by this reminder that may God equip them in what that looks like. So, in his final remarks, we're going to see here that the author, or we know the author of Hebrews of the Holy Spirit, and the writer who is anonymous, we know that we're going to see this writer, he succinctly says so much in these few verses at the end of Hebrews. He's not done with this glorious truth that he's laid out for us in these 13 chapters. So, four uh, truths, if you will, that we see, that we were reminded of, even in this very first verse, in verse 20, four truths that we are reminded of of God. The first one is this, is now made the God of peace. So he brings back to mind who God is, who he is in his nature. By his nature, we know God is holy and God is so many things, but he's also a God of peace. And we see this all through Scripture in the, the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. We see it everywhere. That peace is both the nature of God and peace is what he offers his people. Peace is the nature of God and that which God offers his people. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 says this, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. And so may God who is peace, may he give you peace. The peace of God, and I hope that we know in this room, doesn't come from uh, meditation doesn't come from ritual doesn't come with getting in touch with your surroundings that the peace of god only comes through the person of peace who is jesus christ romans chapter 5 first verse is this therefore since we have been justified by faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ so we receive peace from Jesus. We have been made at peace with God who hates sin and hates sinners. And without Christ, without peace, we would know nothing but the wrath of God. But Christ has made peace for us and has given us his peace. And I think we see it in the world around us that there is this pursuit of an external and an internal peace amongst most people. What do most people want in life? They want peace. What does every parent of kids, right, want in their house? Peace. It's just a good example. The life that, that uh, whirls around us. There's chaos and there's, if you're going to be real honest, there's hollering, there's yelling, there's cries, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Maybe not that much. But even all of us, every human being desires peace. An external peace, we, we cry for world peace, we cry for peace in our country, we cry for peace in our communities, we desire inner peace, and we, 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 we look for all kind of ways to achieve this inner peace. It is the pursuit of man, but we know that the only true peace comes through Christ. The word for peace in the Hebrew is shalom, and that is one of my only Hebrew words I know. And the only reason I know that is not through seminary because we were in Hebrew, we were in Journey to Bethlehem when our kids were little. And for an hour and a half, I did nothing but say, Shalom, Shalom, Shalom. The peace of God, may peace be with you. And so the, this word Shalom, it means peace in the Hebrew, but it means so much more than just quietness, stillness, and tranquility. The peace of God is more than what we understand peace to be. It's more even than we search for. For God always gives us far more. At the root of the shalom of God is His rest. 
And we see this as a theme in Hebrews. We see it um, spelled out more clearly than anywhere else in Scripture what the rest of God is. The peace that He offers us through Christ. A cease from our works and our worry. Now, do we still worry? Do we still work? Yes. But do we trust our works to, to help us to attain eternity? To attain a peace with God? No. Do we still worry? Sure. We worry for our kids, worry for our careers, worry for all kinds of things. But at the end of the day, we, we release that worry because we know that ultimately we are in the hands of, as we'll see in just a moment, a great shepherd. And so this peace of God is this shalom. It is a complete entrusting of ourselves and our world to God. And this is what he offers us, for he is the God of peace. So not only do we see the peace of God and we're reminded of this truth, we're also reminded of the resurrection of Jesus. It says, now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, And so what better thing to remind the readers of at the end of this wonderful, magnificent letter than not just the peace of God, but the power of God, the power of God over death to resurrect as we know and we believe wholeheartedly that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. And this is how we can have peace because Jesus has overcome death. We can have peace because Jesus conquered death. And not just his own death, but he's conquered death for believers as well. That we will never know true death. We'll die, this body will fade away, and we, as we pray for the sick, and as we think of our own life and our own mortality, no one knows what day or the hour they will end in this life. But we have peace knowing that the, the death in this life is not the end. It is really just the beginning of eternal life and eternal peace with God for those who have looked to Christ, repented of their sins, and trusted in Him. But He has saved us from death. And He has saved us from eternal death. And thus we are reminded of the power of God, the power of God to raise not just Christ, but us. From death to life. And that is one of the treasures of the gospel, is that life. So we never know death, we only know life. So we see this reminder of the, of the peace of God, of the power of God uh, through resurrection of Jesus and from death to life. And also, I love this this reminder of Jesus, the great shepherd. And he says that now, may the God of peace who brought again from uh, from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. And I absolutely love this recurring analogy in Scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament, how the people of God are like sheep. And we won't go through all the passages there are. We'll go through a few here in just a moment. They are abundant throughout Scripture. We talk about this often uh, here at North Hills. And so if you've been around for a while, you're going to hear some of the same things. But I love it so much. I was telling Justin yesterday, just love this analogy because it helps us to understand. Not because of the cuteness of sheep that we've seen Lifeway and other uh, Christian marketing folks impress upon us in recent decades, thinking about precious moments and all of the ways we see cute little sheep. But sheep that we see in Scripture, we're not called the sheep of God because we're cute. 
looking at this room, I can tell you firsthand that it's true. But we are called sheep because we're dumb and we're stupid and we need a shepherd. And the truth that I love to point to is that, the, is that sheep are the only animals, and this is just brilliant to me, that sheep are the only animals in all of God's creation that require human interaction. They have to have a human to live. You will not, for the most part, find a sheep in the wild. If you do, he will not be in his habitat. He will be distressed looking for a shepherd and his flock. And there's so much we can unpack with this truth that we are sheep. But the point here is that Jesus, he is our great shepherd. And he is our great shepherd because of our great need. We need a shepherd. Sheep have to be cared for, especially from their own selves. Briefly, two of the passages that point us to, to three great truths here is that it's here, as, we, as we'll see and as we have seen, Jesus is our great shepherd, but he's also our good shepherd. We see in John chapter 1, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So is the good shepherd. Christ died for his sheep. He laid down his life voluntarily for us that we might know the peace of God, that we might not know death and may only know life. This was the good shepherd Christ died for us. As the great shepherds we'll see this morning, he works within us. So the good shepherd we see in the past, he laid down his life. In the present, he works within us. As we see, there's a great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant to equip you with every good thing that you may do his will, working in us. Present tense, as the great shepherd, he works in us. As we'll see in just a second as to why. But also, he is our chief shepherd. And he is our chief shepherd. And we can look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4 that says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So as the good shepherd, he has died for us. As the great shepherd, he lives within us and dwells within us. And as the chief shepherd, he will return for his people. We have a great shepherd. We have a great Savior. Without him, we are lost hopeless and helpless so not only do we see the reminder in this passage of the peace of god and the power of god and jesus is our shepherd but the fourth thing that we see is a reminder again of what we've seen in hebrews is this reference to the eternal covenant as purchased by the blood of jesus now may the god of peace who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. By the blood of the eternal covenant that we, that we remember, we receive, and that we, uh, that we honor every single week at the Lord's table. And not just at the Lord's table, as we honor throughout our day, every day of our life as believers. Recognize that we are purchased by the blood of Jesus that brings us into the eternal new covenant that Christ offers to his people, to his sheep. One of the main messages of Hebrews has been the new covenant that Jesus gives his people. This covenant promise that he would never leave us and he will never forsake us. This covenant promise that he is ours and that we are his, that we will be his people and that he will be our God. 
that He will take away our sin, that His righteousness is and will be forever imputed to us through His blood. And this covenant that declares that we will dwell forever in His presence, free from the penalty and the power and the presence of sin. And so the writer of Hebrews reminds his readers and us today of the precious promise from our faithful God that we are His covenant people made possible by the blood of Jesus. And it's the offers a covenant that will not run out. That there is no end to. That there is no need to ever be redone. That He has fulfilled and applies to us in this eternal, eternal covenant purchased by His blood. So we were reminded of these just beautiful truths of who God is. And this is the, the subject part. Now may God, all these things about God, reminded of the power of God, the peace of God, and the, the Son of God, our shepherd, and His eternal, eternal covenant that He gives us. So this beautiful, magnificent God, the, 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 the architect of the gospel, what does it say? He says that He will equip you that may God equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So as this writer, as he is writing his benediction, as he is landing the plane, so to speak, he doesn't just remind them of the glorious truths of who God is, but it reminds them that He is at work in them. That He has a plan for them. That He has uh, plans for them. But the plans for them are not centered around them, but it's centered around Him. It's centered around His glory. Centered around His plan. Centered around what He is doing. He equips us. If you go back and look at that and kind of break it apart a little bit, it says He equips you with what? With everything good. So everything good. And we see in Scripture that everything good comes from the Lord. Everything good He equips us with. Why? Why does He equip us with everything good? Why does He give us the good things from a good Father? So that you may live a comfortable life. Oh, no. So that you may do His will. So why does God equip us? Why does this gracious God of peace and power who has given us Christ, who has purchased a new covenant by His blood, who is our great shepherd, why is He at work in us? Why is, why is He bringing good about in our life? That we may do His will in our strength. No. Not only does He give us everything good, not only does He tell us why He gives us everything good, but He tells us how He's going to do it. He empowers us. So He equips us with every good thing. He equips us for the purpose of doing His will. And He also equips us by empowering us with His Spirit. It says, working in us. And who is in us? The Holy Spirit of God. God Himself. 
is in us, dwells inside of us, so that we may do His will, which is pleasing in His sight. So he, he is reminding these first century listeners that God is good, that God is powerful, and He's gracious, and He's full of peace, and He's provided everything for us in Christ. But he's reminding them that, look, don't, don't look at your own life. Don't get so consumed around your purpose and your plans and what you want to do and your survival and your, all these things about you, but, but be consumed with God is at work in you. And don't we need this reminder for us today in the 21st century? And it's so easy to get distracted and, and all the stuff that goes on around us, all the bad news and all the just the junk that happens. Is there any shortage of it? Does anyone even want to turn on their phone anymore? It can be so discouraging, right? But yet, God has us here for a purpose and a plan. And that purpose and a plan is His. It is to do His will. That if you are still here, God is not done with you. And He's not kept you just so you can see more of His creation. He's not kept you just so you can be a good tourist in this life. But He has kept you for His eternal purposes that he is actively at work in you so every day we wake up and we greet the morning with god i'm yours and whatever today holds i trust that you hold it whatever happens today i trust you i look to you as we sang while ago sometimes there are our laments in our life and even while we're mourning even when we are lamenting we look and trust god because he is at work and he's good and he's faithful and he fills us with his peace and he's powerful and He empowers us with His Spirit to do His will, which is pleasing in His sight. And He does all of this through Jesus Christ. And at the end of this great letter, and this benediction, and this formal conclusion, He wants to bring it back to Jesus, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He reminds that your life should be the fragrance of Christ. Your life should be like the light on a hill. Fragrance is kind of a new thing that I've just been kind of captivated with lately. And maybe even we're, we're so inundated with light, right? We're not a people that lacks light, except there's a winter storm or something. They lose power, but ultimately there's light everywhere. The only time that you lose light when you turn it off and you go to bed. And then you're going to stir another light for the next hour, right? There's always light around us. But there's not always a good smell around us, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe very rarely. <laughs> Depends how many kids you have in your house and what age they are. But to be a fragrance, to be something when someone smells, it's, oh, what is that? That is a smell of life. And that is what we're here to be, is to be not just a light to a darkened world, but to be a fragrance amongst the stench of death. And we do so by looking to and leaning on Christ. We do so by living for the glory of Jesus and not our own. And so we come to this last section. He, as he is kind of wrapping up, as he's presented this benediction, he's reminded the people of God of the glories of God and his, his um, call on their life and how they're to live and in what way they're to live it. But then he turns to what we'd say the, this final blessing or this final greeting. He says, I appeal to you, brothers. And what we see is we see this shift into a very personal nature. 
That's one of the beauties of these last four verses here. Is it's, it gets very personal. It reminds us that this is a letter written by a real person, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to a real group of people whom he loves. We talked about last week as we looked at elders. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Don't you love that? All these New Testament writers think they're brief. They don't know we're going to spend a year and a half in it. And we could spend another year and a half and be even more encouraged by the word of God in Hebrews. You should know that our brother, Timothy, so we just see this connective, collective nature in the first century church as we desire for it to be today amongst those who truly look to Christ. But our brother Timothy has been released with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. So if I get Timothy back, we're going to load up in the car, we're going to come and see you, and our hearts are going to be strengthened. He says, greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. And this final blessing, grace be with all of you. So we're just reminded that really of the, of the personal nature of theology, if you will. That we, we study God and we study the Word of God to understand God, to understand His revelation to us. But then today, we are the people of God desiring to be the flock of God, looking to our great shepherd who are walking in life together, who are living life together, that God has saved. And we see this all through Scripture. Yes, God has saved us individually, but he saved us as his people. He has saved us to be together. And not just together in this life, and not just together at North Hills as covenant members, but when he brings the entire people of God together by his power and his peace for his eternal resting place. So see this, this beautiful reminder of the, the personal nature of the church. And ultimately, and we understand this because of love. And if you've been a part of North Hills, you've been a part of a, a healthy biblical church before you, hopefully you've experienced love. And we only know that love. We can only express that love because of the way that Jesus loves us. He's only our great shepherd because of the way that he loves us. He's only saved us because of how much he loves us. He's only offered this new eternal, new covenant because of how much He loves us. And the more you understand yourself, the more boggled you should be by the love of God. Because He doesn't love us because of us. He loves us because of who He is. And that should cause us to worship all the more. And so in the words of this anonymous writer of Hebrews, Grace be with all of you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word through Hebrews and this journey, Lord, that you've brought us on. I pray that it's not just a book that we have pursued, academic integrity, but Lord, that we have heard from you along this journey. We've been encouraged by a reminder of who you are and who we are in our great need of Christ. Lord, as we continue to sing this morning, as we come to your table this morning, even as we have an opportunity to give this morning, may all of these 
be done in light of Christ. May we sing as those who have been redeemed. May we sing as those who recognize they are sinners in need of a Savior and that Christ is our great shepherd. As we come to the table, may we do so knowing we don't deserve to come to the table. We've not earned a seat at this table, but you bid us to come and to remember what Christ has done in his body and through his blood. And as we give, may we do so motivated by how you have given to us and how you continue to give to us and you will eternally give to us in your presence and in your power and in your peace. So Lord, may we respond to you in faith and obedience this morning.